0: Welcome to The Frontline with FPM, where we talk about California politics, homeschool freedom, parental rights, and the family. I'm your host, Nathan Pierce, and thanks for joining us today. Let's jump right in and see what's going on here on The Frontline. Hi, everyone. Nathan Pierce here with Drew. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, Drew, how are you doing? Doing well. How
1: about you, Nathan?
0: Good, good. It's April 14th today, and uh, we're going to be talking about a couple of bills and uh, then talking about a really important topic that in general helps us to understand how our positions uh, need to be made on um, various legislation. And um, it's really important to be able to understand these issues to, in order to really have a, a better Working understanding of bits and pieces of legislation, as well as just political questions in general. Um, so we're going to be talking about uh, talking about that jurisdictions. And um, to get started, we're just going to talk about a couple of bills um, that we've already mentioned uh, and give you some updates. So, um, Drew, why don't you talk a little bit about the the bills that we've. Um, successfully been working on
1: already? Yeah. So uh, the first big one we talked about a couple weeks ago was AB 249, um, the lead testing and schools bill. We worked with the author's office and, you know, there's many more details in the full episode that we did about that. But in short, uh, we were able to work with them and get an amendment in that protects private schools from the requirements. And that bill is now moving along through the process with our amendments in there. So Um, that was just a a great experience of being able to have a positive relationship with a legislator and actually make, you know, make, make a difference very quickly and seamlessly in the process. And we're thankful we don't have to deal with inspections now. Yes. (laughs) One less bill on the list to, to, to worry about. Um, and then the, uh, the next bill is um, AB seven sixty seven. It's it's another iteration of the same bill that's been introduced many years in a row now that we've opposed every time, um, and uh, because of our work on it in, the, in years past, uh, so it, it's uh, it's a mandatory kindergarten bill. Um, so it would add a thirteenth year to the twelve current twelve year program, um, but because of our work in previous years in opposing the legislation. It was introduced with our previous amendment language in exempting private schools from the requirement. Therefore it would just um, add a year for public school students and that's now moving through and because of our work in years past, we didn't even have to um, go to the author this this session around. Uh, We had already worked with them. um, Often enough and I would say amicably enough you know where it Good. was where they were willing to take our amendment very quickly and uh so they they had that bill introduced in the form that we had wanted from the start yeah
0: so, so we're we're thankful for these victories um and we've had a, a number of other successes early this year too i just wanted to sort of summarize those for you and um thanks drew for doing that i yeah. i am I'm grateful for that drew is grateful where it helps to encourage us to kind of review the successes that we've had. Um, especially in the context of dealing with all of the difficult battles that we're in the middle of today, um, we need that that encouragement mm-hmm. so um, so we have another bill. Um, uh, 659 um, why don't you. um tell us a little bit about the amendments to 659 which is the vaccine bill that we have mentioned previous in previous yeah. episodes yeah um, and we there was another about this. amendment
1: yes um so the amendment doesn't uh, add any clarity um, it's uh, it's it's a it's a continuation of the language that they that the the author put in uh, for the K through 12 requirement which is uh, it creates a um, a statement of public policy of the state of California it doesn't say this is a mandate, it says this is the public policy. And that sort of language is something that we saw often during um, during like COVID lockdowns and things like that, where um, the Department of Health had a lot of leeway to just declare public policy. Um, and so they're now using that language in legislation instead of a mandate. Um, but it seems to still act like a mandate in some ways for K-12 and this latest amendment added that language to the higher education for students 26 years old and under so anybody so, in college that's younger than 26 would have would be under this public policy so um we've been uh work trying to work with with the author's office on um getting clarity into this bill on what that means what does what does what do you mean by public policy is this uh, what sort of enforcement follows um, follows this policy and how would it be different from an actual mandate where it's added to the required vaccine schedule
0: in the past we've seen um, the Department of Public Health um, sort of sort of make regulations enforcing general concepts um, and putting a lot of pressure on people to do certain things but to, specifically in the arena of vaccines that are not, necessarily required in the law um, there's there's you know additional um, additional uh, shots required in certain um, for certain vaccines that aren't technically in the code but because the Department of Public Health enforces the policy they can write what the requirements are based on uh, the more general provisions of the code so it's it's important to have clarity on these things because the Department of Public Health, does have so much leeway in their interpretation and how they can write regulations um, to be more specific on how they're going to run things from a from a a public health standpoint and it's important to make sure that uh, when we look at these things in the legislature we look for ways where it seems like things could be interpreted a little differently than we would want them to be um, and maybe I would interpret them to be um, least restrictive, which is really the way it's supposed to be interpreted. Um, the least restrictive means, but uh, it's not always the way it works. So we have to try, at least try to make it um, more clear that is less restrictive rather than more restrictive. So so we're still working on that um, and that's 659. Yeah. And so we, appreciate your prayers Uh, as we work on this bill and and many others. um, We're now uh, tracking more than 100 bills and there's a lot of amendments that are happening uh, day after day as we go through this month. As I mentioned last week, we have a lot of deadlines uh, through this month and um, lots of bills are moving quickly and getting amended a lot Mm -hmm. and getting hearing dates assigned Pretty quickly, right, Drew? I mean, some of them, they have more more time bet- between when it's assigned a hearing date and when the hearing actually
1: happens, but we've seen some that are not. Yeah, so, yeah not we've so we've had some instances uh, this session so far, uh, like 659, for example, it was just given a hearing date. It was assigned a hearing date yesterday, and that hearing date is is Tuesday the 18th. So that's five days between when it was assigned a hearing and when it has its hearing so um it's it's it, many other bills have been you know you see them get it get a hearing date that's three or four weeks out. um we had six fifty nine get a hearing date earlier uh that was that ended up being cancelled uh but earlier uh, last month um it it was given a hearing date two days from when it was assigned um and so that doesn't give a lot of time for people to uh, to form responses and to, you know, to potentially work with the office or work with the committee. Um, and that was pretty quickly after it was amended, too, right? Exactly. Yeah. So people are scrambling to figure out what the amendment means, how this impacts the, you know, the likelihood of passage of the bill, how this impacts the effects of the bill. And um, when it's given that that such a short window, there's really a lot that has to happen in an incredibly short amount of time
0: right and these committees when when you when you go to um to to send in a letter a position letter on a piece of legislation that's uh, to to a committee that is going to be hearing a bill so for, for example 659 if we're going to send in a letter on 659 to state our position mm-hmm. um uh, officially Usually these committees, and this this is a good example of that, have a default deadline for your letter of position of either one week or more before the hearing date, which for this bill, when it was assigned a committee hearing date, it's already passed. And that happens frequently these days. It used to be years ago that they respected um, public input enough that it would give you enough lead time before a hearing date to, you know, to actually get that letter in before the deadline. Now, um, and now with this short period, like Drew said, five days before the hearing date is when they're announcing that it's going to be heard on that date. That's less than a week, so you can't meet their typical deadline. Plus, everybody has to go into scramble mode to get to get ready for the hearing. Anyway, the same goes with if we go in and testify on a hearing. You're supposed to get um, you're supposed to call in ahead and basically book your time slot to to, to be testifying as a witness um, in a committee hearing. And if you have only five days to do that, again, you're past the deadline for making that reservation uh, in the appropriate time ahead of time. So it's really it really complicates things for us when um, when they push these uh, hearing dates so close to when they actually make the announcement that it's going to be heard mm-hmm. so so it's it, it's difficult to try to keep up with all of this stuff and to and to be ready for these hearings when they do happen so uh, yeah. we appreciate your prayers for for that
1: yeah and i i think um the big issue with six with 659 um that'll kind of lead into our our discussion about jurisdiction um is you know, like like uh, Nathan, you mentioned just the um, the blurring of the lines on um on authority, right? and the um, the default position that should be held of you know most most lenient, right? The most freedom possible in a lot of these cases, especially when it comes to very personal impacts of a bill, right? like like any right. any medical um, procedure. Um, so, um, as we kind of think about different realms of authority, how, how would you say, um, authority is divided up in, in life and how would you say this bill kind of relates to that larger discussion?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, And we've dealt with this before in, in some, uh, other writings and and some other projects that we dealt with, even over the, the the period where we were dealing with the COVID lockdown situation and how that impacted schools, how that impacted um, the ability for homeschoolers to meet for co-op classes or park days, things like that. Um, we've addressed this issue of of authority, jurisdictions of authority, how how that breaks down. And so if you picture if you picture uh, God being the ultimate authority, um, try to envision that that on a on a chart that God is is at the top, and then you 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 put down below that the various realms of earthly authorities that God has established, and we can see these in Scripture that God has established uh, a, a a type of government um, for three different categories, and one of those one of those categories is family government. That's sort of the initial government that God created even back in the Garden of Eden, um, even before the fall, uh, he created family. Um, and the the Bible sort of reiterates that same principle of family government throughout scripture from the beginning to end. And so, so that family government is responsible ultimately to God and is not really under any other kind of government in terms of its responsibilities. Families are where um, the children are raised. Families are where um, uh, there's a lot of relationships between individual people there. And this is where um, children are educated and children are cared for or uh, nurtured and cared for in terms of, um, and this is where it ties in with our bill, medical care um, and and so, when you look at when you look at the other jurisdictions, we're talking about uh, civil government, which God also created and lays out in Scripture, and you see that throughout Scripture, civil government. And then you, the third one is is um so we have family, we have church, uh is as the third one, um and we have civil government. So there's three: church, family, civil government. All of those three answer ultimately to God. God is the ultimate authority over each one of these and neither neither um, family nor civil are over the other one. They each have their own realms of authority and there are things that each one is responsible for, but the family is not responsible to answer to the government, the civil government, for how they raise children, or how they care for their medical needs of their children, or how they care for the education of their children. They are responsible to God for those things. Civil authority, civil government, is also in an equal in a in a similar position when it comes to um, its accountability. It is ultimately responsible to God as well. Um, uh, the Bible tells us uh, that. Um, in First Peter, that, that the purpose of government is to punish evildoers and to praise those who do good. And so God lays out specific instructions to government, what it's to do. And when you look at these t- kinds of government, kinds of jurisdictions here, the civil government doesn't answer to the family for how it runs necessarily. Now, we happen to live in a government where family members are part of the government in terms of we vote on things, but ultimately, civil government is responsible to God for doing its job correctly. And not only that, I might add, civil government, just as family government, civil government is responsible to God to stay within its jurisdiction, to stay within its realm of responsibility that God has given to it. Now, you also have church government. Now, God has laid out church government as well. And there's various passages that that indicate that um, there should be various roles in, in church government and that the church's responsibility has responsibilities for certain things. But there's not an overlap between what the church's role and responsibilities Are and the civil government's role and responsibilities. Sometimes the government gets these mixed up. Civil government sometimes gets mixed up what is its responsibility and what belongs to the church. Sometimes it gets confused between what's its responsibility and what belongs to the family. And that's what we see in this particular bill 659 is that the government, the civil government, the state, legislature is seeing itself in the role of the parents over there in the in the family government box which is not right it's stepping outside of its realm of authority and saying i'm in charge of you over here and that's not right the family government the civil government and the church
1: government all answer to god and so is that how you picture 659 yeah, I do see it as a as a bleeding of those lines. You see you see a lot of that. It's it's very similar to what we saw during COVID, you know, with with a lot of a lot of talk about um, I mean, you know, CDPH, the governor's office, we're putting out, you know, um guidelines on your Thanksgiving dinner, right? Yeah, how many people right. you could have there, how many hours you could have inside. So if you had more than, you know, 10 people or so, you couldn't be be more than two hours inside or something like that. Like it was, it was all of these, these things that just, it really blew, blew many people's minds just thinking, hold on, this isn't, this isn't how you're supposed to do things.
0: Right, right. And people, I think a lot of times we, we, we hear something like that and we go, oh, that's not right. But we don't have a, a big picture, a, a
1: pattern to fit. Well, yeah. why is it not right? And that... A lot of the, you know, the motivation and the and the impetus given by by the state government was, listen, there's a virus, we need to protect people from getting sick, um, but which is, you know, which is a good goal, right? You don't want people being getting sick and dying, um, but in the pursuit of that, they very often and very readily outstepped their their sphere, um, and they they also did that in the area of church government, That's right? right. Cutting That's down right. churches, and so that a lot of um, a lot of the information and a lot of the the structure that can be found um, in the article that we wrote and the, you know, the the jurisdictional biblical theory that we're talking about um, was worded really well by John MacArthur when he talked about the reasons for, for his church reopening and saying civil government is not over the church government, right? We right. have a sphere of authority. We're, you know, we're told by God to meet. Um, and so some churches made the choice to go back to meeting in person very quickly. some some took a little longer, you know, and um ultimately, the goal is to have each realm of authority um, fit in its own uh area of jurisdiction and operate as God has ordered it, like you right. said. and um there was there was one thing that actually came to mind um when you were talking about the family the family unit. Um, it's, it's often brought up like in, you know, in, in popular culture and in really any discussion, um, that involves politics or cultural issues nowadays to talk about the individual rights, to, you know, to talk about autonomy of a person. Um, and it's a, I, I think it's a essential misunderstanding of how God has ordered things. The individual just by themselves, you know, me as myself or you as yourself or any person is the fundamental unit. But God intended family to be the fundamental unit of a society because families are what build up a society. And when you separate people out, an individual uh, without any responsibilities and any um, sphere of God given influence and authority, the, the society breaks down from there so i think the erosion of a lot of these jurisdictions and these spheres of of authority has brought about a lot of the problems and a lot of the misunderstandings that we're dealing with today like bills like this you know yeah yeah
0: you're right and i think i think it's it's so important for us to remember that you know these these jurisdictions each one has limits the family unit is the most basic of societal structures. Mm-hmm. And it it has a realm of responsibility, it has a very basic and and natural structure to it. I mean, a man, woman, uh, relationship making a, a marriage is at the core of a family. And that naturally, uh leads to children and children are part of this family and that family unit is is really the core of all civilized societies throughout history and so it's not it's not a complex thing for Mm. us to 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 see that this is really basic and it makes sense um but what we're seeing now is some real intense challenges to this to this concept, and there's a there is a real strong attack from the realm of civil government to, to step completely outside of its bounds, its jurisdiction where it's supposed to stay and into the family. Um, that uh, quote that we have in, in our article, which by the way, we do have an article on this topic on our website that's helpful. It's um, at, at fpmca.org/ authority. And um, there's a quote uh, from from MacArthur that we have in here that says uh, each institution has a sphere of authority with jurisdictional limits that must be respected. And so what we're talking about here is 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 the limits that when those limits are gone, for example, when the civil government steps outside of its bounds of appropriate authority, which there are appropriate things for the go- civil government to do, um, but when it steps outside of those, it it's not just messing up what God designed for government. It's messing up what God designed for family and for church. Because when civil government steps outside of its bounds of its authority, it is encroaching onto one of these others. It's either encroaching onto the church's realm of authority or it's encroaching onto the family's realm of authority. And we need to we need to have a clear understanding of this, because um if we don't, then the whole the whole big picture of God's design for these three structures of earthly governments that are all responsible to God that whole thing breaks down. and so it's important for us to remember and to and to be vigilant to protect the way that God designed things to to function,
1: yeah. Yeah, and I, I think the overall the overall um, impact of, of understanding these different realms of authority. Um, and I'll I'll put up um, an image of of the the diagram that that a lot of this discussion is kind of is kind of based off of. You can find it in the article too, but I'll put it up on the video version of this this episode um, for anybody watching, uh, so you can get a better visual of it. Um, ultimately, uh, any any discussion about you know the the rights and and the limits of each institution. It has to be based in your belief about what God has set up, and so the ultimate the ultimate goal is is really to to give people an understanding of God's authority over all of those things, and not right. just say, "Oh, there's these three things because we think so." Right? Yeah. You know That's we think true. this is how they should be, and you know, because if somebody doesn't doesn't believe that they that they are god-ordained there that they are that there is a transcendent purpose to them there's really no no uh no goal for them to um to aspire towards right because right. and it, there's no really influence uh there's no reason for them to want to set it up that way but when you understand it in the light of this is god's ordained system and these these infl- it, society works when these all function within their their limits and they function well honoring God in their actions society does well it does right. well. families right. stay together government is able to protect the society it's able to like you said promote what is good punish what is evil and the church is able to flourish and grow and spread
0: right yeah and and that concept of of God is overall and there's more scriptures in the in the um in that article that that um, explain more of this, but I'm just going to read a few um under the the heading "God is over all." Mm-hmm. Uh, Romans eleven thirty six says, "For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen." Isaiah thirty three twenty two says, "For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king. He will save us." And uh, Psalm 22, 27 and 28, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you for kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. You see, these all point to God as the authority over everything. No matter you're part of a family, you're part of a a church, you're part of a, a government, civil government. All of these answer to God ultimately. And uh, when we have more respect for the way that God designed things, we can have a better understanding of how God intends for the various aspects, the various structures of of types of government and these jurisdictions can work. And we can understand those things better when we understand God's design better. So um, any last thoughts on
1: that, Drew? I don't think so. Um, I, I think that uh, the the overall discussion that we're having here leads pretty well into into uh, another piece of the conversation that we had that you had with with uh, with Frank Urban a number of years ago that that we'll be um, playing after this. Um, just uh, the I think an encouragement to pray for um, right ordering of all of these spheres and part of that is praying for leaders right um so we've talked about you know the reasons for prayer um just the pressure that they're under and then um praying for salvation praying for growth praying for courage um all of these things that uh that you know when when leaders that are given civil authority um you know by their office um in our system by elections by the people uh when they follow these, you know, when they're submitting to God and when they're aware, okay, I'm I'm responsible to him. I'm not responsible to my donors. I'm not responsible to, you know, my party. I'm not responsible to whatever. I'm responsible to God for how I govern. That civil authority, that civil government will be much more rightly ordered. So. Yeah,
0: just yeah, just
1: that's right. That's right. And that sphere is, is really impactful. Yeah.
2: Now we want them to have God's wisdom if they're following him to make good decisions. We want this for all of them. And, and if you ask an elected official, how can I pray for you? Well, whether they're a Christian or not, or whether they have any faith background or not, there's a good chance they're going to say, well, please pray for me to have wisdom because they're very aware, especially in private. When I'm meeting with them, they're very open about how, They don't know what to do a lot of times. Now, you'll never hear them say this publicly, most of them, right? Because we elect people to office and expect them to be all-knowing and all-wise. But the truth is, they're making decisions on hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of things, really thousands. Our state legislators vote on about 3,000 bills a year, I think it was, last Mm -hmm. year. So so that's many hundreds of different topics that they have no background in. And how are they going to? know what to do. And that's why we go, why, why are they making these decisions? Well, behind closed doors, I hear them say, I don't know what to do. <laughs> and so we pray for them to have wisdom and, and, and advisors who are wise. In the Bible, in James chapter 3, it warns that there's a fake wisdom. James 3.15 talks about wisdom that comes down, not from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. And it describes, it says, where there's jealousies and selfish ambition, there's disorder and every evil thing, which sounds like politics. But the wisdom from above, from God, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And those are the kinds of government leaders we want to have. Right. And so as we pray for them to have God's wisdom, and that's tied in with them being around other believers, following the Lord, being in his word, then they can start to say, oh, I I think I'm understanding more of what God will want me to do. I'll tell you what a joy it was uh, to bump into a a government leader on a sidewalk a couple of years ago, right near the Capitol. And this government leader says, I just got to tell you, my whole perspective is changing. And, And I could never explain to somebody how it's like the lights went on. And now I'm seeing everything more clearly. And, uh, and then that same day, actually, I bumped into another one who said the same kind of thing. said, I used to just go about my day not thinking about anything, really. And now I'm thinking about everything. What would God want me to do about it? Mm-hmm. And for wow. both of them, they were both expressing, and I just thank God that he had it happen on the same day to, re- to encourage me, I think. They were both expressing to me that now that they had come to Christ and were saved, and we're in the Word of God, and we're praying for wisdom. Everything was starting to make more sense, and they had clarity of thought that they never had before.
0: That's really encouraging. Yeah, it is amazing how God. Yeah. As, as slow as it might feel at times, God yeah. will help those that He is um, that He has saved. He, the, he will bring them along that path. You know, and yes. some, sometimes. It's exciting to see uh, where someone has, has come from and to, but other times it feels slow and um, we have to just remember in those times, God is faithful. He's moving in his time. All right. Well, um, thanks so much for uh, listening. And thanks Drew for for joining uh, me today and talking about these bills. It's, yeah. uh, it's always good to to chat and um, I'm, yeah, happy to do it uh, we'll be uh keeping people updated on on future bills as we go through the coming weeks Uh, definitely busy time i appreciate your prayers for us on all of these things that we're working on um and definitely if you're not on our email list uh if you want to get updates on legislation definitely get on our email list at fpmca.org and um yeah if you want to if you want to keep uh being notified of our podcast definitely uh subscribe and Keep checking back on our website for updates on various things, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you, Nathan, for
1: talking to you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Talk to you soon. See you next time. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Frontline with FPM. For more information about the topics we discuss here, check out Family Protection Ministries at fpmca.org and subscribe to our channel.